Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Give people choices, but be sensitive to overloading them. Don't be Netflix. If you give me another option and now that makes me realize, oh, I need to give up on something in order to get something else in return, that's hard. That's painful. We don't like that. I'll go on to some review sites to see what people have said because that helps me in my choice. But I guess the motivator for me is I'm trying to make the right choice. So Ryan, you know that I've traveled pretty much all around the world and one of the most interesting times I've had was we were actually doing some work in Russia, in Moscow. And we were over there and we were working for a company that are pretty similar to Best Buy. So electrical equipment, audio, all that type of stuff. Uh We were doing this, what we call a customer mirror, which is where we were acting as a customer. And it was really fascinating. I'd actually been to Moscow in 1981, believe it or not, when it was still under communist rule. So actually going and seeing the place in a different setting where they'd been embracing capitalism has been an interesting thing. I'm sure. We went in, I'm acting as a customer, I'm going into this equivalent of a Best Buy, and I'm walking around and I'm just going to buy something to act as this customer. And I saw these webcams, and I thought, I'm going to buy a webcam. And I looked at these webcams, and there was hundreds of the bloody things. (laughs) And I just thought, I just don't know what to choose. They had Every variation that you could think of. And it was at that point I thought... It wouldn't take very long. I cannot think of very many variations on a webcam. Well, this was back before they put webcams in computers. So it felt like there was 50 million of them. I and I just, I just thought, I can't choose. And it was that point I thought, choice is a bad thing. <laughs> you know, Actually, when it was in 1981 and they went... We have one webcam, that's right. and it's this. <laughs> oh, that's a good one, then. I'll have that one. That's, the, I guess, the bad thing about capitalism. Too much choice. Your experiences with the Russian economy over time, I think, hit on both of the extremes where too little choice causes problems, but also, surprisingly, as you experienced, too much choice can also cause problems. Which is a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? Because you think to yourself that you want more choice. In fact, people don't recognize that it can cause problems. If you give people the option, would you rather shop somewhere that only had a few choices for you to choose from, or would you rather have somewhere with a wide selection, people will almost always go for the more choice, uh, larger assortments. But once they're in that situation, they can find themselves in exactly the situation you described where it gets overwhelming. Too many choice options can get overwhelming surprisingly quickly. So what's happening there then from a psychological behavioral economics perspective? Why is that? So there are a couple of things that happen when we get too much choice that all kind of drive negative consequences, at least from the perspective of the seller. One thing is that it can reduce our motivation. So there have been several studies on this, several experiments that have been run. 
One of them was with students in a psychology class and they had to write a paper and some sections of the class got six different topics to choose from and some got 30 different topics to choose from for this paper. Now, if you ask students, would you rather have a selection of six different topics or a selection of 30 different topics to choose from? Everybody's going to tell you 30. Everybody wants more flexibility to choose something they like. But these researchers gave these papers to independent reviewers who graded all the papers, and the students who only had six options to choose from performed better on those essays than the students who had 30 options to choose from. And these researchers attributed it to motivation, that just the act of choosing a topic was sufficiently taxing that people just had less motivation for writing the subsequent paper. They kind of cared less going forward. Isn't so, it about, sorry, go on. Oh, on. I was just going to say, so in the case of the essays, they didn't have a choice. They had to write the essay. In other contexts, that lack of motivation can cause you to just give up and not choose. So, you know, you can walk away from the webcams because like, oh, I just, I can't. I just don't have the motivation. As I study my own thoughts behind this, the key issue is I want to make the right choice. Yeah. So the webcam I bought was within the parameters, and we've talked about bounded rationality before, and that's another good podcast to listen to for those of you that haven't listened to that. But I want to make a good choice, and therefore I don't have the data to make that choice. It's a bit like... If I want to buy a good microphone for a podcast, I'll go on to some review sites to see what people have said, because that helps me in my choice. But I guess the motivator for me is I'm trying to make the right choice. Does yeah. that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So this effect that people are overwhelmed by choice, and if you give them too many options, then it'll reduce their motivation. It'll do some other things to them, too. But you're exactly right that this general negative effect of too many options reverses if people know exactly what they want. And the reason that this works is exactly because of what you were hinting at. If we walk into a choice situation, so like the endless number of webcams, you were probably at a point in your life where you did not have strong opinions about webcams. You knew what they were. You kind of had some idea of how they would be used. But how exactly is one webcam better than another? Or even how do they differ from each other? That, it turns out, is hard. It's hard to answer those questions. And so the way that we inform ourselves is by looking through options. When there's lots of options and lots of variation, that process gets very difficult very quickly. So now you need to keep going back to the ones you've already evaluated and comparing and, okay, this number of megapixels versus that, and this one has some kind of stabilization feature, but that one doesn't, we just start racking up more and more trade-offs. If you went into that situation fully informed, if you had very strong opinions, if instead of webcams, it was Apple products and the store had some endless number of Apple products for Colin to look through, it would probably be a relatively easy decision for you. Because now you're, you're talking. Now you're, you're, you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> you would know a lot about the products already. Did you see how I beat you to the punch this time, Colin? <laughs> I, I actually raised your obsession with Apple products before you did. I should be an ambassador for Apple. They should, should be paying be. me. They should be. 
unofficial sponsor of the show. Absolutely. But in that situation where you already know what you want, now having more options to choose from is actually a good thing because it increases the likelihood you'll find exactly what you want. This was tested empirically by my PhD thesis advisor, a guy named Alex Chernev. And what he did is he gave people assortments of chocolates to choose from. I like him already. Uh, he, yeah. He jokes <laughs> that he gained like 10 pounds when he was running these studies because he always had chocolate in his office that he was snacking on. But if you think about box chocolates, there's just like this endless variety of the filling. And then is it light chocolate or dark chocolate or milk chocolate? So he created these assortments that varied a lot. And he gave people the option of choosing between 30 different chocolates. Or he first had people articulate what their preferences were. So... Do you prefer milk chocolate to dark chocolate or to white chocolate? What kind of filling is your preference? Was there an option that says any chocolate at all? All of the above. <laughs> option. And what he found is the typical choice overload effect where people were more satisfied with their choice when they chose from a smaller assortment, only six chocolates instead of 30. But the effect reversed if people first articulated what they wanted. If they went into it knowing exactly what you want, sure. then it's just a matter of finding exactly what you want. Sure. But to your earlier point, if you don't know what you want and you have to figure it out, then it becomes a mess. And I think this goes back to what we've said on many occasions as well, is that when you're talking about this stuff, there's never just one thing that's happening. Yeah, There are multiple things that starting to happen. So we talked about this bounded rationality a couple of podcasts ago, mm -hmm. which is making decisions within certain constraints, etc., but also I'm thinking of the halo effect of when you're talking about Apple products and stuff like that. And I was also thinking about my wife at a restaurant. So my wife at a restaurant is notoriously slow at making a decision about what she wants. And whenever she does, it's the wrong choice when it turns up. <laughs> and she so, wish she'd chose something else. So this is one of the other reasons that choice overload bites us. So one of the reasons is it can be demotivating. It just can be exhausting to go through options. Another is that it can change our reference point for satisfaction. So do you ever read The Onion? Is that something that you guys yeah, yeah. in England over there? Yeah. So The Onion's this satirical newspaper. One of my favorite Onion headlines, it was this deadpan serious article talking about the amazing statistical improbability that this couple that lived in this tiny town in Iowa were able to find each other, their soulmates. Out of all the billions of people that lived in the earth, these two in this tiny little town just happened to be soulmates and just how statistically unlikely that is and how miraculous it was that they happened to both be born in the same place. We find that a lot, that yeah, yeah. people will find their soulmates in these tiny dating pools. Sure. Whereas when people move to big cities, it can often be really, really difficult. Yeah. yeah. Part of the explanation for that is when you're dating from your tiny little farm village in Iowa, you know there's only two options, right? It's going to be sure. the girl down the street or the girl who lives two blocks over because they're the only ones within five years of your age. So you kind of have to choose the best one of those two and make things work. If you're living in New York City as a single person – if you're on a date, you're kind of constantly looking over your date's shoulder at the bar to kind of see what else is out there. So when we have more options to choose from, I think Lorraine might torture herself rather when going to a restaurant with a large menu because what if I had gotten this other thing instead? Whereas if you took her out to some place that only had like two options, she might be very satisfied with what she got. 
Yeah, as we said, there's normally more than one thing happening here. And the other thing that's not happening here, and I hope Lorraine's not listening to this podcast, is just basically <laughs> indecision. Yeah. Right. That's another it's, problem. Yeah. I mean, it's just keeping, and again, this on a serious point, it just goes back to different types of people, doesn't it? Yeah. Because Lorraine will rather keep her options open, whereas I'm fairly decisive. I make quick decisions. And one of the problems with making quick decisions is that you may not have all the data to make the right decision. Lorraine's the opposite and she would actually doesn't want to make a decision because there could be something else that comes. Well, let's wait for the specials because we don't know what the specials are going to have. And maybe they've got some special specials that um, they're going <laughs> to tell us about. In Lorraine's defense, she did apparently at one point in her life make at least one colossally bad decision. So maybe she's just <laughs> gun shy. You know, I mean, we all learn. Scott her for life. That's, that's right. <laughs> I've joked that I noticed my wife is much more hesitant about making decisions than she used to be. I think for the same reason. Yeah, well, more fool there, mate. That's right. That's exactly it. Training your frontline team on how to create memories in your customers by evoking their emotions. Beyond Philosophy's unique and proven training methodology, Memory Maker Training. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. So here's a question for you. Is there an optimum number? When I answered that question, I was thinking, well, is it three? Because everything seems to be in three, you know? We know that 30 is not the right number. Probably right. 10 is not the right number. But you just go, if we went back to webcams, it's probably got to be between three and five or even, I don't know, even seven, I suppose, different versions. But it's got to be something that's manageable, hasn't it? There's enough variations that I'm not sure we'd want to come up with a rule of thumb that would apply everywhere. But if we want to talk about most situations, most products, three to seven is probably a good place to start. But you can you can do things that make things better for your customer, trying to get the best of both worlds. So the best of all worlds is to have a large assortment so that your customers are attracted to you, right? If you advertise the fact that you only offer three options, you're going to lose customers to people who have more options because customers think that's what they want. Sure. So you can have a lot of options, but then still make it easy for people. And there are things that you can do. The way that choice assortment is arranged can make a big difference. So Coca-Cola has these freestyle machines where you can choose exactly the soda or combination of sodas that you want. My kids love using these things when we go to the movies. I'm normally at those whilst Lorraine's choosing the menu because it normally takes about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I've got a plan for you guys in the future. Let Lorraine get the drinks and you order the entrees for everybody. Yeah, I go through four podcasts by the time okay. she's chosen. <laughs> so the number of combinations on those machines runs into the tens of thousands. That's all the options that you have. But if you go up to the machines, they're very friendly to use. They start you off with just four categories. I forget what they are exactly, but colas or fruit flavored drinks or low calorie drinks, something like that. You choose your category, and then they give you another menu that has another set of options, the brands or the flavors, whatever it is. And then you get down to the specific options. So in just three steps, you can get down to exactly the soda that you want. And if you want to combine more than one, then you can 
move back up in the menu. It's very, very friendly and easy to use. So they've reduced a practical assortment of tens of thousands down to three easy steps that people can go through. So we can make complicated assortments very easy to use. If we give our customers tools so that they can reorganize assortments themselves, sort by review or sort by price or combine in different ways, all of that makes big assortments seem like small assortments. So some of this as well is about the long tail, I think as well. What I mean by that is on the web, you can offer far more products. So you can offer 50 million webcams if you want, but you can then filter out which ones that you want. I only want to look at these from people that have given them good reviews or whatever. Some of it, as you were talking, was making me think about, it's just about displays. Yeah, a lot of it is. I was thinking about your picture that you show of toothpaste style. You just go, how many toothpaste? <laughs> you know, oh, there's loads. But actually, they're differentiating that by the position of the toothpaste in the aisle. And and the other thing I was thinking of, just from a practical perspective, is it comes down to then extremeness aversion as well, I guess. So we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but extremeness aversion is typically we're just having some work done on the house. And we've got a landscape gardener coming in and, well, we've actually got three. And what will happen is... We won't go for the cheapest. We won't go for the most expensive. We'll always go for the middle one. Now, before we started on these conversations, I just thought that was a sensible thing to do, but now it's called extremeness aversion. That's right. So I guess you could turn around and go, we understand extremeness aversion, therefore we are going to create some extremes, but therefore we know that the majority of people are going to go in the middle here, therefore we need to market those and put those in special display spaces or whatever it may be. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that both of those are really great points, right? So the long tail theory is the idea that there's a lot of money to be made by the small number of customers who will buy relatively unpopular things. So if you continue to sell something that's not a great seller, but can do it at low cost to you, then you can continue to reap revenue from that for years and years down the road. The flip side of that, though, is exactly what you point out. You can overwhelm your customers with too much choice, right? So the long tail means that you never reduce your assortments. You just keep adding more and more things that fewer and fewer people will buy. And the trick there is that you can be losing customers who are just too overwhelmed, who can't cope with that many webcams. So can you organize your assortments in a smart way so that it's easier for people to cope with? The other point that you just made, too, is a great one. Part of the reason that too many choices are hard is when we're forced to make trade-offs between them. If you give me another option and now that makes me realize, oh, I need to give up on something in order to get something else in return, that's hard. That's painful. We don't like that. There's a branch of behavioral economics called choice architecture. And the idea there is, can we construct choice sets that still give people the freedom to choose, but that point them in some direction or that make it easier for them? People like being able to make choices. If you give them one option or sometimes two options, they're not thrilled with that. If you give them three or four options, but do it in such a way that you realize that they're probably not going to choose the extremes there, well, practically speaking, that's just a choice set of one or two that most people are going to go for. But actually including the more extreme options makes choice easier in that context because the specific additional options that you added point them in a direction. And you can direct choice, can't you? So what I was thinking about as you were talking was, it's actually potentially about perceived choice. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I was then thinking about the decoy effect or asynchronous dominance. Asymmetric dominance, yeah. That's it, thank you. Which is where, through pricing, you can shift people's decision-making to one choice over another. And I think the classic example of that is popcorn, isn't it? You go into a theatre and you buy popcorn. I'm probably going to get these numbers wrong. But is it for $3? You can get a small one, but a large one is only... $3? You haven't been in a movie theater in about 30 <laughs> years, Colin. The small is $45. Yeah, that's where the they make the money, isn't it? But yeah, but the price difference though, right? So if the small is 12 and the medium is 13 and the large is 14, but then the large is like eight times as big as the small. And so you'd feel like a fool to not get the largest one. Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm just glad they only have three choices because Lorraine would be standing there with a film still trying to choose which popcorn flavor she wanted. Yeah. This is another example, though, of constructing the choice set to make things easier. You may feel like a fool for not getting the large, but the choice set very clearly points you in the direction of the large. And so that becomes an easy choice for you to make. Okay, so famous question that we always ask at this point of the show. What does this mean that people should do? So given all of these things, what should people do? So this is one of the rare instances where you shouldn't necessarily listen to your customers because your customers will always tell you they want more choice options because we think we do. But think to Netflix. This has become almost a universal experience that people have now where they'll sit down to want to watch a movie or a show on Netflix and they'll open it up and then they'll spend 45 minutes scrolling through options and then end up turning off the TV and walking away without watching anything. I agree with Uh, that. It's too much choice. And in my opinion, Netflix does a terrible job organizing their assortment so that it's easy to get to and easy to sort through and find a way to find something that you want to watch. So more is not always better. That doesn't mean you should go straight down to nothing. Give people choices, but be sensitive to overloading them. Don't be Netflix. Yep. No, I I agree with that. So for me, the practical things that people should do is recognize that people want choice, but too much choice can be bad. That depends upon then the environment you're in. If If you're an Amazon and you're sticking it on the website, then the long tail may apply then you're into different issues. How can you sort through things? And I guess that's where Netflix are. But the other piece of advice I would give to people would be also just recognize the fact that, again, there's never one thing happening here. There are multiple things that are happening. We've talked about in just this podcast, the halo effect, extremist aversion, lots of bounded rationality. So lots of things that are happening in that experience. So again, you need to think about how you're designing your experience and what's actually happening at each of these points. And that goes into the journey mapping. And when we do journey mapping, those are the things that we think about, about what's happening today, what you want your experience like tomorrow, and how you can, for instance, design your experience, recognizing extremeness, aversion and displays and all those other wonderful things. So love it. 
Good. Okay. Well, thanks very much, everybody, for listening. It would really help us if you could go in and review this podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you get this podcast from. That would really help Ryan and I and be much appreciated. And we look forward to talking to you next week. So thanks very much for your time. Thank you. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.